This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Do it, Lord, do it, Lord. That is our prayer in every way, that His kingdom would come on earth and that we would see the glory of Christ being proclaimed to the nations. We're uh, delighted to have you today. My name is David Edgel and I am the Associate Pastor of Education and Administration as we have uh, senior pastor and student pastors and many others that are off to Haiti for a trip where they will be uh, sharing the gospel in many ways to the least of these and uh, carrying out ministry. And it's going to be a busy summer as we are going many places around the earth and having opportunity as we send out missionaries in the sense, all of us as missionaries going, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we'll have groups in Thailand. We'll have a group of young adults that will be in Boston and in Baltimore and in New York and many places where God is going to do some incredible things this summer. And so this Haiti trip is the first of many to come. And so keep them in your prayers this week as they are traveling. And we'll be uh, looking forward to what God says and does uh, through them in the days to come and hearing their report uh, coming up very soon. If you would, take a copy of the Word of God. We're going to be in Second Timothy today. And we are going to be looking at chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verses 13 through 14, and looking at this matter of the treasures, the twin treasures of God. If you would, read this passage with me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You know, I think many times we receive gifts in life and we're not quite sure what to do with those. Or maybe the uh, aspect of time gives us a little different perspective on gifts that are given. I remember as a young teenager having to have my first car. I couldn't wait to have my first car. And it needed to be a muscle car, if you know what I mean. And of course, my dad had a to a four-door 1969 Chevelle with a straight six and a three-speed on the column. He looked it at the driveway and said, there's your car. Now, that was probably, in hindsight, a pretty good gift. I wouldn't mind having a 69 Chevelle today. But at the time, that didn't quite seem to meet the standard of what I was looking for. I was had in more mind a 1969 Roadrunner with a 380 and a GTX or... You know, a, a 1970 Challenger with a 340, you know, and a four-speed. I had in mind that I needed a greater treasure than he was willing to give. So I worked and did all of the things in order to buy for myself a 1970 Dodge Duster with a 318 and a three-speed on the floor. And I had the treasure of a lifetime. So I thought... I think most parents in the room know what I'm talking about in terms of those, and we look back on those moments with fondness and with um, somewhat of misgivings of the things that we had and that um, not realizing the value of all of those things. And I think that's true also for the Christian life. 
we're going to look today in an example of what really are two treasures. Obviously, they're not the exclusive treasures that are spoken of in Scripture, but two treasures that God really gives us to engage us toward the Christian faith and in the Christian life. And I think it's important that we understand that, that we are living out our faith, and we need to have the courage to live out our faith. But that's going to involve something. That's going to involve us, as is said in this passage, retaining the standard of sound words or following the pattern of sound words. And that's going to involve us allowing the Spirit of God to be fruitful in our lives and be a steward of the treasure that God has given to us. So I want to walk through this passage and I want to show you several things this morning. First of all, the first treasure that we see in this passage is a wholesome healthy, vibrant word. Look in verse 13, and I want to notice there in this passage several words, several phrases that I think are important for our discussion this morning. First of all, this word to follow or to retain is used. It has the idea of holding to or clinging to, something that is of value, that we take and we cling and we hold on to because we realize the value in what has been given to us. He also says there that there is a standard of sound words. really has the idea of the, um, that which is healthy, that which is the um, standard or the pattern that God has given us. And the Bible is clear that we are to hold on to these basic truths, the truths of God's Word, the truths that God has given us in Scripture. And he says, retain the standard of sound words or sound doctrine which you have heard from me. Paul's ministry was a teaching ministry. It was a ministry where he was living out his faith, as we will see in a minute. And he was concerned that the testimony and the stewardship of the treasure of God that had been given from himself to Timothy now would be held to. And now it would be moving forward in faith and in love, which were in Christ Jesus. Paul was concerned, as I am, and I think we all rightly should be, oftentimes in how we treat the Word of God. We have a Bible in our home. Probably many of us have multiple Bibles in, in the home. Uh, our kids would always make jokes about the number of Bibles that were in our homes. And if someone would say, do you have a Bible? That was always a joke because there were six or seven somewhere on a shelf uh, in our home. And while many of us... Um, could say many of the same things and we have a copy of God's Word, I wonder to what extent we treasure it. I wonder to what extent we realize the value in the gift that we have. I'll never forget being in Romania and places like that and hearing the believers talk about the incredible gift that was given to them oftentimes in a new Bible only to be found out by the secret police because it wasn't illegal to have a Bible in Romania under communism, but it was illegal to distribute Bibles. So if you were found with a newer copy, then you had obtained that through someone who was illegally distributing that Bible. And if you did not give up that person and tell who it was that had distributed that Bible, then you could be imprisoned. 
And believers would talk about how they would keep those Bibles and the value of those Bibles. And they would risk life just for a copy of God's Word that they could read, they could meditate on. But yet somehow along the way, we lose sight of that. We often leave our Bibles sitting for days, maybe even weeks at a time, not even to pick them up and to read them. We are flippant sometimes about Scripture and how we use it, and we often misquote Scripture and use it for our own amusement and for our own pleasure. We often misuse Scripture to shame others into something that we want them to do. The Bible says this, and I need you to understand this, and you will do this, and if you're not doing this, then fill in the blank. And oftentimes, this great gift that we have, we oftentimes use for our own self-righteousness to look down on someone else because they're not meeting the righteous standard that we're meeting only to realize intuitively through the Holy Spirit that there are many standards in our life that all of us need to be striving toward and all of us fall short of God's glory. Paul would say in this passage to Timothy that there is a standard, there is a pattern of understanding of Scripture and of doctrine that should be held onto. We call it oftentimes the saint, the, the, the faith once delivered to the saints, the full and complete revelation of God that God has given us in His Word. And we have a stewardship responsibility to take that and to invest that and to share that in someone else. But oftentimes that can cost us. Paul knew that all too well in his life as he was writing in the same passage when he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel for the power of God. Paul realized that his testimony, the testimony that he was suffering was as a result of his boldness in sharing the truth of God's Word. It was a testimony of truth. And he was desiring to tell young Timothy and to say to us, do not be ashamed of God's standard of truth. Truth often is attacked in our culture, in our day and time, in many ways. And I'm afraid that oftentimes we step back, we soft-pedal, we oftentimes are reluctant to share clearly what is a testimony of truth. It is to be done in faith and love, and you see that very clearly in this passage. The Word of God is to be shared in faith and love, and that faith and love is because we are in Christ Jesus and because God has revealed the truthfulness of God's Word in Christ Jesus and in Scripture. But there is a very clear standard that we must observe and we must concern ourselves with in the Christian life. I want you to see a couple passages. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 4 in another letter that Paul writes to Timothy. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Notice also in later in the same passage, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that you may so that all may see your progress 
Keep a close watch on yourself and notice what he says on your teaching. It's almost as if the writer is saying to us that there is a standard of beliefs, a standard of truth that should be in our lives. And that as we live our life, we should always be measuring. We should always be absorbed. We should always be concerned with how is my life lining up with the standard of Scripture. It's almost as if God's Word takes a mirror and turns into our lives. And as we sit down and we read it, we hear God speaking and we see the places in our life that God would desire to change, that He would desire to transform, that He would desire to, to make us consider His standard and to want to put away the world's standard and to follow His. Brothers and sisters, listen to me and listen well. I think we are very much in danger in our day and time of taking the Word of God and turning it almost into a book of promises, yes, but a book of promises for our pleasure. When God would desire for His book to be a standard of truth, that we would see, that we would be absorbed in, that we would understand, and we would see those promises and realize that in faith and in love, when we step out and desire to reflect truth in our life, when we use it as a mirror to look into our lives and to acknowledge the error that we've allowed into our lives, that it can be the standard and the joy and the truth of a treasure greatly discovered, of a treasure greatly possessed, and God can transform us and use us to be an incredible testimony to the world. We often use uh, terms that talk about this, um, and we use this term often called doctrine. It's this idea that's reflected in Hebrews 1 that said long ago at many times and in various ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. The idea is that God began to reveal Himself and He revealed Himself in creation. He revealed Himself in the creation of man. He revealed Himself to Adam and to Eve as He walked with them in the garden. And that progressively after the fall, that God was moving toward the idea that He would redeem mankind. And there was a revelation of who He was that happened over time. David understood more about the character of God than probably a Methuselah because God had progressively been revealing himself. Jeremiah understood probably more than even a David as he looked back over the application of the law of Moses and then God working in the life of David and then the Psalms and the Proverbs. And as he studied and meditated on God's word, he saw God reveal more about God's character and His nature and who He was and what He was going to do. That is true of an Isaiah and many of the prophets as God progressively was revealing Himself until, as this passage said, He ultimately has spoken to us how? In His Son. 
or by His Son. That Jesus was the culmination of that revelation. And those followers of Jesus and in the testimony of their writings in the Gospel and in those epistles written by the apostles as they gave us and give us the sure standard of God's revealed truth in our lives. And that God has been working progressively to reveal Himself to us. And we can now stand and look and peer into the Word of God. And we're able to take different understandings of God's nature, of God's attributes, of the personhood of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, understanding how Jesus could be both God and how He could be both man, how He could come to save and He could come to redeem, and how He is the resurrection and the life. What it is that God has revealed systematically through these things, we can now order and look at those things and very clearly see the teachings what God has revealed about the church and about sin and about man and about the future and about what is to come in the final and complete consummation of Christ at His return. We often refer to these as biblical theology or systematic theology. We'll put them into different um, categories of God, talking about His nature, His attributes of understanding the person and the work of Jesus, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the fallenness of man, the sinfulness of man, and the effects of sin on the creation, the salvation and redemption of God, how it is that evil exists within a world where there is a good and a loving God, God's standard for the church in the future. These are concepts that oftentimes we relegate to the doctrine, and we call them the doctrines of the church, but it's almost as if we say, well, those are the things for the seminary. Those are the things for the Bible college. Those are the things that are for um, the monastic that just wants to withdraw and to absorb himself. But I want to say to us today that no longer can we settle for doctrine to merely be something that is just for the seminary. No longer can we settle that doctrine is just something for the Bible college. Because the foundation of what we believe is that the foundation of the things that we value and it is at the foundation of the way that we live our lives. And what I believe about God will matter when I step into my workplace. And what I believe about the sufficiency of Jesus to save will matter when I share with someone who is laying on their deathbed or I'm pleading with someone at the, at, a, at the workplace to know and to understand the greatness of God. The truthfulness of God's Word will impact how I live my life and whether I am willing to allow it to shine a mirror into my life and to change my life or whether I will blind myself to my own pleasures and my own pursuits all the while 
why I am leading myself under the discipline of God. It is important for us as a church to see the major teachings of Scripture and to hold them close in order to practice the truthfulness of God in our lives. And I believe that these things can impact and they can transform and change our lives. I want to challenge you, discover who God is. Discover what God did when He took on human human flesh and became man. Discover... Yes, that sin corrupts every part of our lives, but there is a story of redemption and transformation. And the Spirit of God is not just a, a feeling inside of you, but is the very person of God living inside of you, working to help you take and keep the standard of truth in God's Word. And it's time for us to rediscover the doctrines of the church. We're going to be doing that in several ways. We've been doing it in some uh, curriculums that we've been changing to and called the Gospel Project that really is about taking the center of the Gospel and really looking at it from a theological perspective of, of what the Bible says about God and man and sin and, and the image of God, and we've looked at it in several areas. Over the next three years in our children's ministry and student ministry and in uh, many of the adult classes, we're going to be looking at a three-year study from Genesis to Revelation of all of Scripture and looking at Scripture. And as we look at these major characters and passages in Scripture to see what this says about God, to see what it says about us, and to see about God's revelation of Himself progressively, and we're going to dig into the deeper things um, in, yes, small groups. We're going to see it in courses that we're going to offer through Deeper Life that will deal with these issues. If you are interested in digging into any of those things, on the church website even today it says um, theological resources. You'll see posted there some basic uh, books and resources that you can begin to uh, pursue and to, to begin to understand. But I believe and am convicted as a church that if we are going to confront the culture that is in front of us, if we are going to raise up a generation that lives their life from a Christian worldview, that that won't start with understanding the views of others until we understand the views that we believe about Scripture. I can't recognize truth. I mean, I can't recognize error in something else if I don't understand truth in what I believe and why I believe it. When a group comes knocking at my door, I can't share with them the truth of what I believe about Jesus and about the triunity of God and about the fact that Jesus came and His death is sufficient unless I understand it for myself. And I cannot convince someone else of the error of their ways unless I understand the truth of it for myself. We often fall into these false worldviews in our lives. And I think oftentimes they go something like this. God wants me to be happy. Doesn't love always win above truth? Doesn't Jesus desire for me to pursue what would give me the most pleasure, the most enjoyment? And yes, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to tell you, this just feels right. Truth is expressed 
I think, in individual circumstances. Truth changes for people. And, you know, it really, there really cannot be this one standard of truth for all times and all places for all people. We don't, you don't really believe that these morals are for a modern age, do you? And they go on and on and on. False views. False worldviews that even sometimes we subtly buy into ourselves. And it is vital that we allow and see the standard of sound words that we have heard, that we learn from those that we know are bearers and standards of truth to pass that on to us in order that we would now in turn pass that on to someone else. God has made me a disciple, yes, but as a disciple and a learner, that implies that I am discipling other people, that I am making disciples, that I am a disciple who is a maker of other disciples. We do that with our kids. We do that with our grandchildren. We do that with people that God puts into our life in multiple roles. And it is time for the clarion call to go to the church for us to see that we are teachers of God's Word in our homes, in our marketplace, in our communities, and for us to see truth and to be pursuers of truth and to retain the standard of God's Word in our life. It's kind of interesting that in the Old Testament, God was trying to tell us something similar. Out of the passage that we often quote, to love the Lord our God with our heart, our soul, and our strength, also says these words. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall write them as frontlets on your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of the houses and on your, on your house and on your gates. It's almost as if God is saying every part of your day when you get up, when you sit down, when you walk, when you come home, when you're getting ready for bed, that every part of your life should be looking at life through the understanding and the teaching of God's Word. You know, oftentimes, for years, I felt the guilt of what I called family devotion time. And I would hear sermons that pastors would do and say, you need to have family devotions, you need to have family devotions, you know, and it was... I had in my mind this model of getting all, you know, getting the kids together and the wife together and getting the dog settled down and, you know, getting everybody here and then we're going to open the Bible and we're going to read, you know, we're going to do that. And it just seemed like that was, it just was so hard to do that. And, and I would feel so guilty about it all the time, you know, be like, all right, we're going to do better this week, you know, and we, Monday started and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and ball games and it was gone. We're going to do better next week. And finally, I remember reading this passage and being like, why am I trying to just isolate that to one part of the day? Why can that not be every part of the day? Why can we not talk about Scripture and things while we're having breakfast? 
We have a commute to school. Why could we not play things on the radio or, or play uh, sermons? And why could we not, you know, spend time just talking about what the, you know, the kids are ha- having in school? And why can we watch movies? Can we not stop that and say, what is that? What did God say about that? What, what are they trying to convey? And I began to realize that every part of my life I could be teaching about God's Word. I could be teaching about God's standard for life. And that I wasn't really why that could be cool to do the one thing. Wouldn't it be better if it was every part of that? From the pictures that I put on the wall in my house to the content of my iPod and my CD player. Could I use those as kingdom resources to teach? Could I use my computer? Could I use the family meal time? Could I use a 20 or 30 minute commute somehow to invest and to understand and to grow in my life? And when I began to do that, it was like a whole world opened up of time that I had been wasting listening to the oldies, which for me are the 80s, but anyway, um, listening to the oldies that I could be investing in my kids and in my spiritual life and in my growth. And when we really look at our time, you know, it's amazing. We have time to watch all of this TV, but then we have no time for Scripture. We're up on, you know, all of the series, even if we have to binge watch them with the DVR, we're up. But somehow I don't have time to study God's Word. It wasn't a time issue for me. It was an issue of the resources that God had given me and using those in a way where I was learning from someone else the standard and I was being a steward of it and I was teaching it to someone else. It was almost as if God had called me to become a learner and a disciple myself in order that I could in turn influence someone else in their spiritual life and in their spiritual growth. Do I think that's what Paul's talking about in this passage? Absolutely. But I want you to see the second treasure. Notice in verse 14. He says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now this idea of to guard has the idea of to keep, to watch, to observe. So as not to dishonor has the idea of a good treasure. Some translations will even use the word treasure. A good deposit. A precious trust that's been given to us that we are to then keep because of its great value. Now look at that again. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. It's Paul saying that Scripture is of such great value 
that these truths found in the Word of God are such of great value that not only that God revealed them to us in Scripture, but that He places within us the Holy Spirit of God to dwell inside of us to help with this process of us living out the trust, living out the truths, living out what God has placed in us. And if you go to passages like Romans 8 that says, in fact, that the Spirit of God dwells in you if you have Christ, and if Christ is in you, though your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit which is life because of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit gives us life, and that the very Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is living in you and in me. The Holy Spirit was given to us in order to understand Scripture. The Holy Spirit is given to us in order to illuminate and to draw out the text of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is given to us in order to to fill us and to empower us in the keeping of of the Word of God and that the Holy Spirit is given to us in order to empower us to overcome sin. Could it be true that God gives us the Holy Spirit to keep us faithful to the treasure of Scripture? And absolutely, I think that's what this passage is saying. The challenge to you and to me today is this. We are in need of a vibrant spirituality that sees discipleship, or in other words, the finding of this truthfulness of God's Word as a lifelong pursuit, a lifelong journey that impacts us, that transforms us, that God challenges us and sharpens our beliefs, our values, and yes, our behaviors that He then in turn uses those to impact our homes, our communities, our workplace, our church, and even to the ends of the earth because we have been given a sacred trust of Scripture and the Spirit of God is dwelling in us and we must rise to the challenge to take that truthfulness of God's Word and the truthfulness of Scripture to others. I want to say to you today that if we really were to get serious about what we believe, knowing what we believe and why we believe it, that that's going to take some work. There are great resources that are available, and we'll be posting those in different ways on uh, Twitter and Facebook and trying to um, give some handouts and inserts over the next few weeks. But I want you to know and I want you to understand that that's going to take some work on your part. It's going to take some discipline on your part. It's going to mean some changes in behaviors for you to grow. But I challenge you. I challenge you to not stay where you are. To just coast. To just get by. To just say to be good enough is enough, but to allow yourself to be a pursuer, to allow yourself to be a retainer, to allow yourself to be 
the person that God has entrusted with truth and to be a discoverer of that truth in every way. You may need to research your beliefs um, as a church. When you talk about what do we believe as a church, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is our adopted statement of faith. I challenge you to read that. You can find that on our website. You can find that. just If you have a computer, just say Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It will come up. You know, one of the most refreshing things I did as a new Christian was I actually read that statement of faith, and then there was a whole list of scriptures. And I actually got my Bible and said, okay, I read this, and then I looked up those Bible verses to see if it was saying what was really said in that statement of faith. And you know what happened? For the first time, things that I had heard all of my life that the church believed I saw for myself in God's Word. And I began to see that there was this systematic revelation that God had given about Himself in Scripture. We're posting resources. You'll find those under, as I said earlier, theological resources. I want to challenge you as a parent to really see your home as a place of discipleship. God has entrusted to you those children, and they are what you will leave behind. In character, in a knowledge, and in remembrance of your life, how you will be remembered will greatly be remembered through your children. See your home as a place of discipleship and discovering the treasure of God's Word and then being a quipper. I hope that you will see maybe today afresh and anew the two treasures that God has placed in our life, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to retain the standard that He has given to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the challenge that you have been giving to me personally in these days. I thank you that um, these words shared today, um, God, are areas that you're challenging me to afresh and anew. So I share them passionately. I share them with conviction today. But God, I pray that our mere passion and conviction comes from the place of allowing you to transform and to change us, to transform and to change me. God, you are the greatest treasure. And the treasure of Christ and the full revelation that Christ has come, that Christ has paid the price, that Christ has extended redemption when we will but repent and believe and trust in him and Him alone and find the indwelling of Your Spirit in us and the treasure of Your words and Your truth in Scripture and to allow You for a lifetime to change us, to mold us, to shape us into the reflection, God, of You. God, I pray today that you will challenge us to the greater desire of you and of truth, not just for truth's sake, but God, that you would change all of us to glorify all of you. Lord, that is our prayer. 
prayer of faith for the person who does not know you. A prayer of faith and love for those of us who know you and need to be consumed with you and with your truth. Lord, we love you. And we ask this prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. I'll be here. Others will be here. If you'd like to come and pray, if you would like to talk to us more about what it means to know the treasure of Christ, maybe to be a part of a church that is pursuing and following after Him and the joy of Him and the treasure of the truth in Christ. We'd love to have you be a part of our family, our church family, First Baptist. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.